Good morning, church. It's good to see you on another Sunday morning. I wish I could see you. Uh, we'll get there eventually when God takes care of all this pandemic. I wanted to look at uh, something we all need to do, I think, and, and it's out of Philippians chapter 3, and it's learning how to live with yourself. Now, I'm going to begin with verse 1, and there's several scriptures here, but our text won't pick up until verse 12. Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1, and our text starts with verse 12. The Apostle Paul is talking, and uh, he's got a lot of instruction for them and for us. In our day, he says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same thing to you is not tedious, but for you is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we are circumcision who worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. For what things were gained to me, these I have counted as loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And then our text begins. Not that I have already attained or already am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus laid a hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal of the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for today. We thank you for your love and your tender mercies. We thank you how you've protected us, our church, and our families. We ask you to continue to do that, and we once again intercede for those Christians around the world who are under persecution and under attack. Lord, who don't live in a free land, who don't live where medicine is readily available, who, who don't have the safety of safe water and plenty to eat as we do. And Father, would you be with them and comfort them, be with our missionaries, our soldiers, our police and firemen, our doctors, our nurses, our uh, first responders on the front lines giving their lives uh, in danger because of this disease, this pandemic. Would you be with them and their families? Uh, 
Lord, in the midst of this pandemic, most of all, we pray that you would be glorified, that you would stop it in its tracks, that you would fool all the experts, and they have no explanation for it. Uh, Holy Spirit, come and, and pour out a blessing on us. Pour your spirit on us. Bring revival and renewal to your church and to our communities, to our land, to the world as a whole, that you would reveal yourself to be the one true God and you gain glory in the midst of this evil. And Father, as you do this for us, we'll be careful to praise your holy name. For it's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. Uh, I read some interesting statistics that uh, uh, singles uh, or single adults uh, are on the rise. That most people in America today, or at least half of the people, are or choosing a single lifestyle. Uh, from the birth of our nation through the 1800s, uh, single adults comp comprised only 3 or 4% of our population. Uh, in the era following World War I, uh, it uh, increased, but marriage was still the norm. The Great Depression affected it with more and more uh, adult children staying home to help their families make it through the crisis. After World War II, marriage was again the norm, and, and most people chose that. And we had the baby boomers, and the number of singles went back down to about 4%. But beginning with about 1990 until the present day, it has steadily risen. It went from 48% in the 1990s to above 50% now. We can talk about the advantages of marriage or the advantages of being single or, or whatever, but, but what I want us to understand that it doesn't matter whether we're single, married, doesn't matter the cause of any of that, we still have to know how to live with ourselves, how to really live. And basically, living with yourself means Christ-sufficiency rather than self-sufficiency. Living with ourselves, learning to live with ourselves, meaning depending our dependence upon Christ-sufficiency rather than self-sufficiency. So what does that really mean in our day? In the first part of verse 13, uh, the Apostle Paul tells us how to learn to live with ourselves. He said you have to have a holy forgetfulness of the past. A holy forgetfulness of the past. I might call it a holy amnesia. Notice what the Apostle says in the first part of verse 13 of Philippians chapter 3. Brethren, I do not count myself to apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. The past. The apostle had a past. Now, some of it was embarrassing to it. Some of it, by worldly standards, was really something. But in these verses, he gives the key for us on living life and liking it. And that is, forget the things which are behind us. They have little bearing for the here and now. He had learned to live with himself because he had experienced Christ's uh, sufficiency when he accepted Christ as his Savior and found forgiveness of all his sins. He found how to live life daily and like it. And I think he, he, he did some things that he had to forget, at least three things. He forgot his physical past apart from Christ. He mentions that in some of these verses. He, he talks about that if anybody could brag, he could brag more. I mean, 
He was circumcised the eighth day, the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. And he goes on concerning the law and the righteousness in the law, blameless. He kept it all. What a guy. But he had to forget that, his physical past. It didn't do any good in his relationship with God. He had to forget his life apart from Christ and all of its supposed benefits. Secondly, uh, he had to forget how he persecuted the church. In other parts of the New Testament, he said he, he was the witness bearer. He, he consented to their death as they were stoned. When that first martyr Stephen was stoned, they laid his garments at his feet and he agreed that they were right in doing that. He went out and with letters and so God arrested him on the Damascus road and drug him to prison, sentenced him to death. But I think Paul also had to forget one more thing we often forget. Not as just physical past of being a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Not being so zealous that he kept the law at every point. Not being so bad that he persecuted fellow Christians to death. He had to forget even the Christian race that to this point he had run. He had to forget the past victories. He had to forget the past failures because... The past is the past. See, the amnesia he had doesn't mean simply obliterating it from our memories. It's a biblical word found in 1 Kings when the widow says, you've forgotten how you came to me and how I helped you and you did this and that to the prophet Elijah when her son dies. And Amasius, it's where we get our word amnesia from. But what it means is that, that we don't we aren't so tied to the past that we can't live in the present. We aren't so captured by the past that we can't function towards the future. What Paul is really saying is that his past, no matter how glorious it may have been, no matter how bad it may have been, has not any bearing on his spiritual outlook now and for the future. He can't lay, let past shame deter him. He can't let, let past victories let him sit on his laurels. You see, he had to forget that which is past and live in the sufficiency of Christ in the present. And too many Christians forget that. We get comfortable. We remember how it was. We remember the glory days, whatever they were. You might call them the good old days. I got news for you. The good old days are right now. I don't want to go back to a time when it was out air conditioning. I can remember that. Many others cannot. I can remember uh, when the first color TV came in. I can remember when the first remote came in, etc., etc., etc. I remember the first phone we had, the party line. Oh, everybody was so excited. I remember all those things that many can't remember today. And others remember more than I do. But the past is past. I don't want to go back to the past. You understand that we have to live in Christ's efficiency for today with our problems, whether it's the COVID outbreak, whether it's our health, whether it's our finances, whether it's relationship problems. Christ is the one who's sufficient to meet our needs, not those glorious memories of the past that seem to hold us captive. Things may never, ever be the same again. And that's okay if we're living in the present 
in Christ's sufficiency. He will help us even now. It's going to be okay even now. It's going to be all right in the future because our God has already walked in the future. He's the God of the past, the present, and the future. He's the great I am. He always will be. He always has been. He always will guide us and direct us. We don't need like, like the little boy that's playing baseball. And he got up there and he was going out with his bat and his, his coach said, now, son, go out there and hit a home run. He said, I won't. He said, what do you mean you won't? He said, I struck out two days ago. I struck out yesterday and I'll strike out today. He hadn't forgotten the past. And we need to realize failure yesterday does not mean failure today or failure tomorrow when we're depending upon Jesus. There has to be something that we let go of that. And when I talk about that, people uh, need to realize that the Christian life is, is lived today with an eye on tomorrow. Some people are so caught up in how they were hurt in the past, what was done to them in the past, and how life did not turn out like they thought it was going to be, that they become very bitter, very hard. And it's hard for them to get past that and live a Christian life with joy. Now, I'm not making little of our past. Some things are hard. Some things are terrible. Some things hurt like we never thought we would hurt before. That does not mean that we can't find our joy of our salvation. It does not mean that God does not still love us. It does not mean we cannot walk today with an eye for tomorrow because he promised that one day he makes all things new. One day he makes all things right. And therefore the apostles Paul said, one thing I do forgetting those things which are behind. Are you depending on the sufficiency of Christ Jesus as the Holy Spirit guides you and empowers you? Or am I depending on it? Am I trying to live in yesterday? See, Christ will help me live today. We can't be defeated today for past failures. I also can't sit back on my laurels and say, remember when? Boy, God really did a work then. God really had them then. Boy, our church was going then. We were that. I was a prayer warrior then. I knew so much scripture then. I used to teach. I, 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 I. Praise God, God worked through you then. But what is God doing through us now? And what does God want to do for the kingdom in the future? Ministry may look totally different if we ever come out of this covid I think it's going to take a while. I think ministry will be different. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think if we've been doing ministry for 50 years, sometimes it gets comfortable doing that. And maybe we need to change a few things to reach a different group, a different age group of people, so the church is strong in the future. And until Jesus comes back, the church carries on. When I'm dead and gone, God still wants the church to move forward. When others have been so faithful in our midst and we don't know how we'll ever replace them, God knows the answers. It's reaching new people. It's discipling new people. It's mentoring new people. It's, it's letting new people use the giftedness he has them and has for them. So we need to forget those past victories and those past failures and learn to live with ourselves today. But then that leads to the second thing. In verse 12, we need a wholesome facing of the present. 
the wholesome facing of the present. Verse 12 says this way. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay a hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. Now he talks about something here. He talks about it with perfection. He states it right up front that he isn't perfect yet. None of us are. We've been saved. We haven't been perfected. In between the salvation experience where we we're justified by faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, till we're glorified, that final day when God calls us home and everything's made right, in between the justification and the glorification is called sanctification, perfection. And God leads us step by step to make us in that time period more like our Savior, Jesus. I think perfect here has two meanings. I've alluded to one. I think both of them sort of shade this word, not that I've already perfected. One is perfection that won't come again until I said that in time, when everything's perfect. The other means functional perfection. It means living right now. It means, it means maturity. I'm not totally all Christ can make me be yet, but he's still working on me. It's Paul facing the present reality. It's Paul facing the present of where he's at. And in order to do that, he says, therefore, I press on. Uh, he does a self-inventory. The self-inventory does not depress him. It does not make him throw up his hands and give up. It's not mean. Oh, me, I, I'm so horrible. It rather motivates him. He's going to press on. And, and to press on is an interesting Greek word. It, mean, it means to pursue, to track down, to run down. It's a picture of an athlete in those Olympic games. It's running the race, and he's striving towards the finish line. He sees it, and all his focus is there. And he's straining every muscle to get there. And spiritually, Paul is saying, I see the finish line. I see the end. I see what Christ wants. I'm going forward. I'm going. I'm pressing on with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, with all my mind because I love Jesus. And he does that for all the glorious possibilities of his life. He says, I am pressing on that upward call for which Jesus Christ laid hold of my life. If you've been saved, Jesus reached out and grabbed hold of your life. He has glorious possibilities for you and for me. But we have to strive. We forget that which is behind. We stretch towards that which is uh, forward, living in the present. But we do it. Henry Ward Beecher was a Henry Ward Beecher was a preacher in New England, a very good preacher and pastor. And here's what he said. God asked no man whether he'll accept life. That's never the choice. When you're born, you must take it. The only choice is how you take it. Did you catch that? We're not asked whether we want life. We're not asking whether we'll choose life. We take it. We're born at the set time. The only choice we have is how we take the life we've been given. See? If we face what the present life looks like right now, I think there's some people that are living in a la-la land. I may not buy everything the media says, but I want us to be very, very clear on this. 
This is a pandemic. It's a real thing. It's not just geared and suddenly it's going to be ceased after the election in November. It's not just something that's going to fade away, you know. This is a disease. Others want to say it's something made up by the media, this and that. I think they overblow it a little bit, but I want to tell you something. I think this is God giving the world one more chance. One more chance to come to Him. One more chance to know His sufficiency. One more chance to accept Jesus. One more chance for God's people to be renewed. One more chance for a worldwide revival where thousands upon thousands, even millions upon millions, have a chance to be saved if we'll seek Him and humble ourselves and repent of our wicked ways. And He'll hear us. But too many people are so caught up in all this other stuff trying to ignore what's really going on, they're not paying attention to their present life and striving for all the glorious possibilities that God has for us. You see, have we faced it yet? What does it look like right now? Have we been defeated by what's going on? Have we trusted God with it? Are we really, 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 really willing to make that commitment, to press on, to lay hold? Of all the glorious possibilities that are in Christ Jesus. See, when we pray certain things, we know God, that they're God's will, and so we know they're going to be answered. If you prayed, Lord, teach me how to pray, He wants you to know how to pray. He wants to spend time with you, so He's going to teach you. Lord, help me to understand your word. We read our Bibles, and we read our Bibles, and we start asking the text questions. He wants us to understand His word. He wants to commune with us. He wants to talk to us. Lord, teach me how to hear your voice. Those are things the Father wants to hear from his children. Lord, gift me in a way that I'll be of service to you. Anything you want me to do in the church, he's going to hear that. Lord, help me to be a witness to my family, to my neighbors, to my co-workers. He wants to hear that. He's going to answer those kind of prayers. Lord, help da, 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 to be saved. Open their eyes. Convict their heart. Let your Holy Spirit draw them. He wants to answer those kind of prayers. But we have to press on and lay a hold that which He laid a hold of us. Are we doing that? Are you praying that? Are you seeking that? Have you given up? Are you trying to live in the past, not in the present? So we need a holy amnesia of the past, victories and failures, but we need a wholesome facing of the present. Not that we're perfected, but we're pressing on. The final thing is this, we need a wholehearted future of striving. A wholehearted future of striving. The last part of verse 13 and then of verse 14 says this. Paul said, I, I haven't apprehended anything. One thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize and the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul here states his mission. It's a divine mission. We might call it an objective, a goal, uh, a purpose, whatever you want to call it. But what he's saying is, it's the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's what I keep pressing for. That's what I strive for. For. That's what I'm reaching forward for. Again, it's Paul's maturation. He reaches forward those things. He presses toward those things. 
It speaks of discipline, hard work, mighty striving. Okay? It, it speaks of wrestling with things. Uh, for God's sake, it speaks of we're not going to give up, God. We're not going to change our course until you change our course. We're going to go no matter how hard it gets. We're not going to quit. We're not going to back up. We know we have a call from you to be this church in this place at this time. And we know you're not going to be defeated. And you can count on us, God. We're reaching for those things. It's the future, but we don't know the future if we hadn't spent time with God in the past and the present, if we don't know how God works in our past and the present, how can we know how he's going to work in the future? You see, it speaks of an intimacy. You see, his goal is the ultimate perfection of us in Christ Jesus. Our glorification, if you will. God looks at it as already done because his work is not going to fail. We're in the midst of finding out that it's not going to fail. And sometimes that's painful. Now, I'm reminded when I talk about pressing towards the future of, of the fellow that, I don't know if you've ever seen him. It used to be you could go into the old-timey drugstores and they had these scales and you'd put in your nickel or your quarter eventually before they took them out of the drugstores and you'd get on it. It would give you your weight, but it also would give you a little fortune. It'd pop it out there. And the, the lady, his wife reached up and took his fortune out, looked at the fortune, looked at that, and looked at his weight, and she said this. She, he said, well, read it to me. He said, well, you're a charming personality, a leader of men, a citizen of high character and intellect, attracted to members of the opposite sex. And she looked over his shoulder and looked at the weight and said, goodness, it has your weight wrong too. It has your weight wrong? That's somebody that wasn't looking forward to the future. That's somebody stuck in the past. Somebody in the present that didn't see any change. You see, do we focus on one goal each day? I know lots of people that are goal-driven. They're, they're type A personalities. There's nothing wrong with that. It's wonderful. Unless that goal excludes Jesus Christ. Unless that goal excludes the kingdom of God. Unless that goal is contrary to what God's call is on our life. Now, God grants us the ability to make money. There's nothing wrong with it. He gives us to influence others. There's nothing wrong with that. He lifts some to greatness and some not. There's nothing wrong with that if it's used to serve the kingdom. You see, our daily goal should be Christ Jesus. Be more like Jesus. I have to remind myself of that with all the pressures of the world, with all the concerns of the world, with all the things going on, and people need help here, and, and family concerns, and money concerns, and just on and on the list goes. And believe me, I understand those concerns. They're very real, and we cannot ignore them. But you see, our ultimate goal should be to be like Jesus. And God honors those goals like that. Someone said to me one time, they're having a lot of family problems, and they said something I'll never forget. They said, I just need to find myself. And when I said, well, you're right there, they didn't like it. So well, you said you, you need to find yourself, you're right there. You're sitting in my chair in my office. You're in exit number town at such and such church. They thought I was being a smart aleck. Looking back on it, what I should have said was this. You will never find yourself until you find who you are 
in Jesus. He is making you into the person he wants you to be. That's why Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, <clears throat> that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service of worship, that you may prove whether that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. We do that as we surrender each day here to him, and the Holy Spirit transforms us through the word, through service, through our spending time with him, to be a little more like Jesus, and we truly find out who we are. We're loved in Christ. We're precious in Christ. We are made in Christ's image. We're his image bearers. We are peacemakers between God and lost mankind. Because God was reconciling the world into himself and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He goes on to say we are ambassadors for Christ. Not for our companies, not for our families, not for our favorite sports team, not for anything else. We are to be ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador represent the one who sent us. Jesus has sent us. He has placed us at this time, in this place, in our communities, where we work, where we live, to show people how they can have a relationship with Jesus Christ as a personal Lord and Savior. But to do that, we need a holy amnesia that forgets the past. We need a wholesome facing of the present, where we are right now. And we need a wholehearted future of striving, pressing on, reaching forward for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Because one of these days, if Jesus doesn't come back, he's calling us home. We'll close our eyes in death and we'll meet him when we open our eyes again. I'm going to pray and we're going to be dismissed. Father, thank you for these words. Help us even in the midst of this pandemic, even with life going crazy, with our world turned upside down, with so many stresses, so many fears, so many things going on that we need to forget the past, focus on the present with an eye toward the future. And that eye is striving to be more like you, Jesus. And so, Jesus, do these things for us. Save those who need to be saved, Father, in our midst. Help those recommit their lives who need to recommit. Help those to join the church who need to be a part of us. Help us to surrender the burdens of the past and the present to face the future. These things I ask in Jesus' name, your name, Father. Amen. Have a good one, church. See you next time.
will be 